good morning and welcome home again. Glad we could be in the uh, building again together. If you have a copy of God's Word, open up to Psalm chapter 19. Psalm chapter 19, we're going to jump all over the place today. Um, I'll let you know too, my back is still all tore up. So if you see me wincing or falling over, gracious, I thought I was getting better. And then the last couple days, it's, it's hurting a lot worse. So um, I'm not sad, tired, or grumpy, or upset. It's just I'm a little sore <laughs> right now. So appreciate uh, your prayers and that as I teach this morning. I'll also say this. I was thinking about this yesterday when I was driving. Um, you know, over the last 15 or so weeks, as so much in our nation has changed and rules, regulations, requests, mandates, whatever you want to call them, have come out, and we've had to pivot so many times. It seems like every two weeks we're having to do something new, change direction, and do all of those things. And you know, in the last 15 weeks, I have not received one negative email in my email inbox. And I just want to say to our church, to our online family there as well, thank you. Um, I have many pastor friends that are getting eaten alive right now by their churches, and even by those outside their churches. And I just want to say thank you. To our, if you've been sending negative emails to Joe, just keep sending them that way. <laughs> um, but I, I mean, I'm, I'm dead serious. I, I, I appreciate that so much. I don't worry about that when we have to send out a new update or a new request to our church. Um, because y'all are, uh, there's a difference between being unified um, and just having to agree, agree on everything. And we don't have to agree on everything to be unified because we're unified around the gospel. And we give grace to where grace is warranted if there's other things that, that need grace extended. So I just appreciate that, and uh, I'll just let that, that sit there. So um, I'm going to be honest with you today, too. Week six of uh, our series, we're called Asking for a Friend. And uh, this week, we're talking through the issue and the subject of mental health and how that relates to the scriptures. Um, this was going to be a one-week topic, and the more I've studied and the more I've prayed and the more I've told God, I have no clue what I am talking about. Um, I just feel like the Lord is extending this for probably another two or three weeks just so we can talk through this subject more and just try to really understand what the scriptures say about what is such a sensitive and difficult subject, especially in the church. So please pray for me. Uh, extend grace where grace is warranted again. And if I screw this up, say something wrong, anything like that, you can send me an email at joe at livinghopecolumbus.com and I'll be glad to take care of you. I'm teasing. Let me pray for us. Father, thanks again for this day. For this time we have together in your word, God, I pray that you go before us. Jesus, in what can be such a hot-button topic, Lord, in the midst of so many things we've talked over these last six weeks, um, God, would you give us the ears that we need to hear from you today? God, would you give us hearts, Lord, that are soft, receptive, and sensitive to the word of God? God, I pray that you would give me the correct words to speak in, in this season, and that, God, we would leave here closer to Jesus because we gathered as your church today. Father, we love you, and we're so thankful for you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, hey, go ahead and stand with me. We're going to read Psalm chapter 19. We're going to read one verse today. At Living Oak Columbus, if you're new with us, every time we read our initial scripture, we always uh, stand for that because we think it's a big deal that God wrote a book for us to know him better, and we want to honor that. Psalm 19, verse 7. One verse right here as, as David wrote this. He said, The law of the Lord is perfect. And here's our key phrase, restoring the soul. You may be seated. I'll never forget a Sunday evening in Lancaster, Ohio, several years ago. 
I was a freshman at Capital University over there in Bexley studying uh, the best I could to be a math teacher while I was living on campus at Capital University. Most of you maybe didn't know that. I actually started school to be a math teacher, and I flunked out, so uh, I became a pastor instead. <laughs> I was in my parents' living room on a Sunday evening, getting ready to head back after I just spent the weekend with my folks. Most weekends I came home uh, because it wasn't that far away from where they lived, about 45 minutes. And on that Sunday evening, I remember so vividly, and I can't remember, I've tried to remember the events leading up to this moment, but I vividly remember laying on my parents' couch in their living room there in Lancaster, Ohio. And as I was laying there, my body was literally shaking like a leaf. I was trembling all over to the point that I was unable to control my body at that point, just trembling and shaking. I remember my thoughts racing so fast that I couldn't even verbalize what I was thinking as my parents were standing there with me just trying to comfort me, trying to talk me through what was going on in me physically and I believe spiritually as well. That was the first time I can remember really suffering or uh, having these feelings of overwhelmed anxiety. This was brand new for me. I was overwhelmed. I was distraught. I was discouraged. My mind was racing. My body was shaking. And to be completely honest, as about a 19-year-old kid, I don't remember a point in time where I had ever been so scared and so afraid because this was all foreign to me. And for me, I believe that that was the moment in a very general sense that was the starting point for me, Aaron Taylor, with a battle that even to this day that I have fought against depression and anxiety. I've had seasons and times in my life where the weight of depression felt so heavy on my mind and my soul that I didn't leave my bed for at least a full 24 hours. If you've never experienced that, it's hard to describe where weight just is on you. It just feels like somebody has put those 45-pound gym plates all over the top of your body, and you have no choice but to simply lay there. I've had those seasons where anxiety was so crippling for me, just distraught, overwhelmed, uncertain about what the next moment would look like, where I just felt crippled completely as a human being. And for me, thankfully, praise be to Jesus, this hasn't been something that I've had to uh, deal with many times throughout that moment since that first moment, but it's been part of who I am and something that I deal with now, even as a follower of Jesus. I even went through a short season where I was medicated for my depression and anxiety because I just simply couldn't get them under control. It was something, there was a battle going on inside of me, and I went to a doctor and I sought help for it. Friends, I want you to hear me today. Mental health is not something that I'm numb to. I think sometimes when we think of, and I I don't say this in a prideful sense, when we think of pastor, we think spiritual leader who's kind of a goofball but probably has it together spiritually and mentally, maybe. This is something that's affected me personally. It's something I still battle with, something I fight through. It's affected my family. Both of my parents have fought with mental health battles literally my entire existence. Stories and situations that I can't share from this podium that we've had to walk through as a family. My siblings, both of them, fought mental health battles. My extended family on both sides, mental health battles, even to the point where in the past seven days we are currently fighting one of the most treacherous mental health battles in my family that we have ever fought before. Nobody's immune from the effects of mental health and the crisis that's associated with it. I was a youth pastor for 12 years, 
I've had more conversations than I care to share today with people that are going head to head with this battle. I've sat in hospitals with individuals, men, women, and even teenagers who are on the brink of losing the fight that they're engaging in in their mind. I've sat in living rooms with teenagers who tried to take their life and I had to spend hours with them with mom and dad weeping in the corner trying to make sense of what just happened because their student tried to take their own life just a few hours before. We're not immune, we're not isolated. This isn't something that people have made up. This is a real issue, a real problem that the scriptures speak very dynamically to today. And I want to say this before we get into this. Some of you are like, man, this is a heavy day at church. It is, but we got to talk about it. If you have a a mental health battle that you're going through right now, can I tell you this this morning? Those of you all listening online, don't you dare fight alone. If the devil can do one thing, one thing he wants to do is he wants to isolate you. Because what happens? Think of the animal kingdom. And I don't don't mean to uh, make this too dumbed down. But in, in in, in the animal kingdom, if you can isolate one from the herd, what happens? It becomes susceptible to attack. What did Peter say? That the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for those whom he can devour. How does he find you when you're isolated and alone and you're by yourself in whatever battle you have? That's when the devil's going to creep up on you and he's going to try to take you down as a follower of Jesus. Don't you dare fight alone this morning. If you have something that you are battling with, fighting through, whatever it is, you need to tell me, you need to tell Pastor Joe, we need to talk today. We're going to connect you with the right people, whether that be us or some other individual, to help you. Don't you dare fight alone. We want to get you help. And so this morning, we're going to, man, we're going to dive into this. Like I said, this was going to be one week, um, but it's going to turn into at least probably three. And, and here's how I want you to think of this, because it's going to take a minute before we get to the scriptures. I want you to think of this as a, one message that's just been chopped up into three parts, because we've got to lay some groundwork here in just a moment, because I want us to, to feel the weight of this today. I want us to leave here with hope, but also with just a, a holy, maybe discontentment, discontentment, we could call it. Um, that the church needs to rise up and mobilize to help those who need help. That's what I want us to see today. So I'm going to ask Jesus to, to be with us one more time, and then we're going we're gonna to do this. Father, thanks again for this time. God, it's heavy. Uh, God, it, it can feel weighty in this moment. And Lord, I think we need to feel that. But God, I pray in the midst of the weightiness that your spirit's presence would overshadow that. God, that your spirit would sit down next to each one of us today. Speak truth into our ears and into our hearts. God, mobilize the church to be the solution to a problem. God, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. My heart was breaking this week. As a youth pastor, I was more familiar with this, but I had not done a lot of research on how bad mental health has got into our country. And again, let me lay some groundwork, and we're going to get to the scriptures in a moment. But friends, we need to hear this. Did you know one in five individuals in our country right now is suffering from the effects of a mental health crisis? Depression, anxiety, so many variety of things. 20% of Americans are currently battling with mental health. In our country, if you look at the list of the things that most people lose their life to, among adults right now in our nation, suicide is the 10th leading cause of death among adults in America. That should never be. Right now among teenagers, again, I was a youth pastor for 12 years. I have a heart for students. Right now, among teenagers, suicide is the leading cause of death among teenagers in this country right now. It's not drugs, it's not alcohol, it's nothing like that. It's suicide. This is a real and present danger that we're dealing with. 
If you look up the, the statistics from the, the Disaster Distress Helpline, I looked this up this week, it's a, a 1-800 number that you can call 24-7, 365, and you can talk to a trained counselor to help uh, counsel you through a mental health crisis. Do you know from this time last year to right now, so in a year span, they have received 891% more calls than they did last year? Nine times as many calls they're getting right now compared to this time last year because the mental health crisis is rearing its ugly head in America as we speak. I read an article this week by Newsweek. They said currently in our country that anxiety medications have increased by 34%. Those that are filling anxiety medications. Talk space. If you've ever heard of them, it's an online video therapy conference resource. Talkspace since March of 2020 up till now, August 2020, five months, has seen a 65% increase in people using their online resource to get counseling and therapy. We have a problem. We need Jesus to do a miracle in our country. The solution is not going to be found in government. It's not going to be found in another therapy. It's not going to be found in this. It's going to be found in Jesus Therefore, the church has to spearhead this, and we have to lead out. So what do we do with those statistics? I think it's going to start with, and again, this is where we're going to have some tension in the room, and I want us to feel the weight of this. I think it's going to start with how we view the solution to the mental health problem. Okay, The solution to the mental health problem that we have is not going to be found in psychology. The solution to the mental health problem we have is first going to be found in the scriptures. Did you hear me there? I know that's not a popular opinion, and I'm going to explain myself here in just a moment. I know there's a differentiation, and we're going to make that. But rather than always run to psychology when it comes to this issue, can I challenge the church and the Christians, those online listening? What if we ran to the, the scriptures first? What if that's where we started? What if we bucked against what we were culturally trained to do, and we ran to God's word for the solutions to problem first, everything else was secondary? I want you to think about this. The word psychology, you've probably heard of this. Ology, we know that means the study of. That's why biology is the study of life. Theology is the study of God. Theos, God. Ology, the study of. When we come to this idea of psychology, we think of the word psyche and ology, the study of the mind. That's typically what we think of when we think of psychology. That's okay. Did you know that the word psyche actually in the Greek, the original language where that word is found, does not mean mind. It means soul. It's the word for soul. It's the word for life. It's the word for vitality. Psychology in its truest form was meant to be the study of the soul. It's why the 16th century Puritans, who shaped much of our modern church life that we engage in now, actually believed it was the mission and role of the church to engage with mental health primary. It was our job. They actually believed that they were ministers of the soul. You see, the solution to the problem is going to be found in the church and in the scriptures. You see, the solution is going to be found if we approach the subject in a different manner. Because the primary solution is going to be found in the scriptures rather than outside sources. Don't view this as a crutch. Don't view this as an alternative. This is it. And this is the solution. Let me explain this a little bit more. If you're a note taker, hang on tight. Here we go. Here's our first point, Genesis 2 verse 7. Let's talk about human design. Let's talk about the way that God designed you and me as individuals. Because I think when we talk about mental health and as it relates to the scriptures and inside of the church, we need to spend a moment talking about how God made us. Let's talk about our divine design for just a second. 
You see, over the years, as I've engaged in this topic, people don't want to go to the Bible for solutions to the mental health problem. As we said a moment ago, we often see it as a, a crutch. It's, a, it's a, a false band-aid to a problem. It doesn't really solve anything for us. It's irrelevant. It's not, a, it's not a relevant solution to the issue at hand. Yet I believe that if we truly understand our divine design, how God created you and me in, as humans, we're going to quickly understand that this is where we need to run first, not second. This isn't where we go third. This is where we start to solutions for the problem. Look at Genesis 2, verse 7 with me. Bible says in Genesis, Genesis 1, God has just finished creation. Now in Genesis chapter 2, God is creating the image bearers of his creation. That's human beings. And in verse 7, as Moses pens down these words, looking back into creation, he gives us a little clue into how God designed you and me. Look at verse 7 with me. It says, then God formed, formed man of dust. Don't miss that. God formed man of dust from the ground. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Now watch this with me. So from the hand of God, human beings were created, Genesis 2, verse 7, and our makeup was comprised of two things. Maybe you haven't noticed this before in Genesis 2, 7. We were created to be material and immaterial beings. The material beings are flesh. How did God create that? Well, the Bible says that he took dust from the earth and he formed man. He formed the material, physical being that we know. You, you can feel your arm right now. You know that you have bones inside of your body. You're covered with skin. There's organs right now that are helping keep you alive. And included in the material makeup of the human being in Genesis 2 verse 7 was what? The human mind, your brain. God created us as material beings. We are vessels that dwell on this earth. That's awesome. What's the immaterial? Well, Genesis 2 verse 7 reminds us that God also created the immaterial. That's the part that gives us life. Notice what we read in verse 7, that God took the physical, and then what did he do? He breathed life into us. That's our soul. That's what separates us from the animal kingdom. That's what makes us alive is our human soul. What makes up our soul? Y'all, if you read through the scriptures, and we don't have time to do this today, you'll see that the human soul is the seat for so many things. The human soul is where our mind is found. That's your rational thinking ability. The human soul is where your will is found. The human soul is where your emotions are found. And the human soul is where your heart is found in the immaterial sense. That part that helps you feel. That's held in your soul. So as humans, you're made up of the material and the immaterial. That's found there in Genesis 2, verse 7. But here's what's interesting to me, and I've been thinking about this this week. There's one place in the human body where the material and the immaterial overlap. You ever thought about this? There's one place in the human body where the material and the immaterial overlap, and it's one space in between your ears. You see, because in the space between your ears, you have this physical organ known as the human brain, but it's also the house of the human soul. Why do we think that? I want you to think right now. Think of anything. Uh, the phrase that, I don't know, soup isn't food. It's appetizer. I don't know. That's silly. But just think. Where do you think? Where do you feel? It happens up here. Why? Because that's where the soul is housed. That's where the overlap takes place. 
You have the physical organ of the brain. God created it in Genesis 2-7. But then when he breathed life into you, your soul is housed in that same space. So how does mental health play into all of this? Hopefully you see where I'm going. You're going to have some camps that when it comes to the subject of mental health believe that it's completely biological. That there's just things going on with the organ known as the brain where there's misfirings and there's biological uh, mishaps happening. And so we need to treat those things with medication. Yes, that's helpful. God gave doctors wisdom to help our bodies function in the way that they need to. So if you need help because there's a biological issue going on in the material side of your brain, okay. You know the scripture is actually okay with that and we can talk through verses about that. That's okay. But then there's the other camp that say that mental health is completely a spiritual endeavor. Therefore, we need to deal with it through soul work. Yes, absolutely. It completely is. Why? Because there's an overlap of the material and the immaterial in between my brain. So I have to deal with both sometimes. It's not an either or. It's a both and scenario when we approach this topic. Friends, listen. There's going to be times, and I've sat across tables with folks, where what God created in Genesis 2-7 goes through trauma. It goes through difficult things. It goes through scenarios that should have never happened. And as a result, imbalances occur. And God uses medicine to help restore the physical. That's okay, and that is helpful. Could God restore it through miraculous means? Absolutely. I've seen him do it before. But sometimes God is going to use the miraculous means of modern medicine. That's helpful. There's sometimes, friends, where it's a spiritual issue. There's sometimes where mental health is simply a spiritual issue. And listen, don't discount soul work when it comes to spiritual issues we need to deal with. I think, on the authority of God's word, that there's sometimes that Christians have in the past or are currently engaging in sins that they've never repented of, sins they've become okay with, and that does a detriment to their soul. And once we deal with the soul side of things and we learn to continually repent and continually to preach the gospel back to ourselves, and we ask Jesus to do a restorative work in our soul, that sometimes some of the mental health crisis that we are dealing with could be dealt with through spiritual means. Sin, if we didn't know this, and I think we don't sometimes as the Western church, has devastating effects on the human body and the human soul. Do not discount soul work. I want to be clear too. I understand that there are some mental health issues that are so deep-seated and rooted and things that, man, they're, they're drastic. It's okay to seek help for those things from doctors and those kind of folks. But can I encourage you with something? Make sure they love Jesus as much as you do. If you're going to go down that route, make sure they love Jesus as much as you do so that you're getting the help that you need, not the help they think you need. Hey, let me show us this too. Psalm 19.7, let me read that for us again. How do we do soul work? Notice what David wrote. The law of the Lord is perfect. What does it do? It restores the soul. And so if the mental health issue that I'm dealing with is immaterial and it's, it's with my soul and there's things that I need to deal with because of sin that I've never dealt with or sin that I'm currently engaging in, where do I run according to David? David says, you want your soul restored? 
You've got to go to the law of the Lord. You've got to go back to the Scriptures. It's not a crutch. It's a solution if you want it to be. Christians, stop viewing it as a crutch. Let's stop viewing the Scriptures as a, a crutch, man. No, they're a solution if we want it to be. Next week and the week after, we're going to look at Philippians 4, and I want to show you how the Philippians 4 speaks into the current mental health crisis. The two main ones that we're going to engage with are anxiety and depression, because I think those are the ones that have absolutely plagued and ravaged Christians in our country. So we're going to deal with them over these next two weeks. Now, let, oh, goodness. All right, let's, let's, let's change gears here for a second. I told you we're going to be all over the place, so this is going to be the most abrupt, harsh transition ever. The scriptures aren't numb to the issue either. We've only looked at two verses so far, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, and Psalm 19, verse 7. You say, Aaron, that's only two verses. The Scriptures are not numb to the mental health crisis. I want you to see this with me here. Let's talk about the speaking Scriptures, point number two. Listen, you know there's many men and women that penned the pages of this book that we deem wholly authoritative in our lives that struggled with mental health issues? There's men and women that are talked about in this book that their stories are written down so that you and I know what it looks like to follow after Jesus that struggled with mental health issues, specifically in anxiety and depression. Those are the two we're going to focus on this week. Friends, there's, there's folks in the Bible that have been down this journey. Let me give you a few examples. If you're a note taker, you need to write this down. King David, the choice king over Israel. You talk about David, what do we think about? Slayed Goliath, man after God's own heart. Greatest king Israel has ever seen. But we skip some of the other stuff. Psalm chapter 42, verse 11. David pens these words as he's talking to God. Why are you in despair, O my soul? My soul, why have you become disturbed in me? What's David experiencing there? Crippling anxiety and depression in his heart. He had seen things, he had done things, he had engaged in things, unrepentant sin in his life, so much David had engaged in, and he tells God, my soul is disturbed within me. Think about this, the prophet Elijah, he stood down the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, several hundred of them, to the point where Elijah called down fire from heaven and he witnessed what I believe to be one of the mightiest moves of God in the entirety of Scripture. Fast forward one chapter, 1 Kings 19. Jezebel is coming after him, threatening his life because of what he did on Mount Carmel. And you read Elijah's account here and what do we see? Bone-crippling anxiety, depression, the weight of it on his soul to the point where Elijah tells God, I just want to end my life. I'm done. I'm done. It's too much to bear anymore. Look at this, 1 Kings 19, verse 4. But Elijah went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested, here it is, that he might die. He's done. He said, it's enough, Lord. Take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. He was done suicidal thoughts. The prophet Jeremiah, he was sent to Israel to deliver a message of God's judgment. That's not a fun job if you didn't know. Elijah, he was rejected, despised by the people. Elijah, known as the weeping prophet, never saw a single convert in his entire ministry. He saw loneliness and discouragement, but never a convert which led him, I believe, to a deep depression. Jeremiah 20, verses 14 and 18. What does he say? Cursed be the day I was born. Let the day not be blessed when my mother bore me. Why did I ever come forth from the womb to only look on trouble and sorrow so that all my days have been spent in shame? 
He's done. What about Paul, the mighty apostle? Wrote nearly all the letters in the New Testament. Paul, the church planter extraordinaire. Paul, the man who stood down kings, received beatings, was cast out of towns. When we think of, of somebody who was the greatest evangelist to ever live, who do we think of? Paul. Yet listen to this, 2 Corinthians 1 verse 8. As Paul writes the church in Corinth for the second time, he says, we don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength so that we just despaired life itself. Paul says it became so much, we just wanted to end it. We're done. Can I remind us of this truth today? That if you're battling with depression, anxiety, mental health struggles, that the scriptures are not numb to your pain. They speak to it. And if you're sitting in this room today and you do not struggle with this, that's awesome. And that's great. Praise Jesus. That's wonderful. But I want us to see this. That God's choice servants did. It's not a sign of weakness. It's not. But what separates God's choice servants here is that they continue to press forward towards Jesus despite the battle. They thought Jesus was worth it. They were going to continue to press forward. The stories we read in the scriptures birthed from the hearts of men and women who fought the same battles that many people currently do. Yet they refused to be defined by the fight. Rather, they were defined by the God they so faithfully served. Can I say that again? They refused to be defined by their fight. But they're going to be defined by the God they faithfully served. What's our action step with this? How do we fight this biblically? If the Bible speaks to it, if these people struggled with it, what do we do? I want to talk to us about recalibration, and then we're done, and we're going to build off this next week. Again, if my mental health battle is in my soul, which I think for many people, folks, it is, not always, don't neglect this, that we have to learn to run to the Scriptures first as the recalibration tool to get my mind back to a place where it needs to be to restore my soul with the law of the Lord. You know why we're so anxious and depressed in the church today? It fascinates me, even in myself, when I still deal with this stuff. And I think it boils down to two things, and we're going to dive into these more next week, is we have way too much information and way too much comparison right now in our culture. Can you hear that? And I think the scripture is going to speak to this. Right now, we're so anxious and depressed because we have too much information and way too much comparison in our culture. We know too much right now. Therefore, we battle anxiety over things that are completely out of our control. You jump on Facebook, you leave church here, go out in the parking lot, you jump on Facebook for five minutes. I'm going to prove this to be true. Five minutes. All of a sudden, within five minutes, you become an expert on infectious disease just on Facebook. You're an expert in the pharmaceutical industry. You're an expert in politics. You're an expert in the way school boards need to function. We're experts in, uh, in international affairs. We're experts in conspiracy theory. We're experts in everything. That's just five minutes on Facebook looking at posts from the guy that you haven't talked to in five years that barely graduated, right? We're flooded with information all the time about stuff that 20 years ago didn't concern us. It didn't concern us. But because there's a flood of information in our souls now, 
we've become anxious about everything. We have more information than any generation previous us. So what are we doing? And Philippians 4 talks to this. We have now become obsessed and anxious about trying to control the uncontrollables. There are things in this world that we can't control right now. And so we make tangible steps towards solutions, but I have to refuse to become anxious over them. They're out of my control. Therefore, I trust Jesus that he's doing something bigger that I don't understand, and I'm going to trust him with the results, and I'm going to do what I can with where he has me right now. What did Paul say in Philippians 4 verse 6? We'll look at this more in depth next week. Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. You know that's not an option. Paul doesn't say, hey man, if you feel like it, here's a good idea. That's not what Philippians 4 says. Paul says, don't. That's a direct command. It's the same thing as if Paul wrote, do not commit adultery. Nobody would say, well, you know, I don't know if I don't want to. Do not steal. Yeah, I don't know. That Reese's peanut butter bar sounds really good right now. Do not lie. Nobody says, yeah, that's optional. I mean, we'll see how I feel. It's a Tuesday. I'm tired. What does he say? Do not be anxious. Don't do it. What does he go on to say? But in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And so next week, we're going to look at some practical steps on how does this actually work beyond just a statement into a lifestyle? How does this stuff actually play out? Why are we so depressed? Why are we so depressed as a nation and as a church? We have more than any, any other generation before us. Did you know right now that if you're sitting in this room that you are within the top 1% of richest people on planet Earth right now? You say, it doesn't feel like it. Trust me, you are. If you're sitting in this room, if you live in America, you're within the top 1% of most wealthy people on the planet. Why are we so depressed? Why are we so depressed all the time? It's because of access. We have access to more things than ever before. You see, we're looking for joy in all the wrong places. If I just had the bigger house, the newer car, the better job, a bigger account, if I had a better spouse, if I had this, if I had all that, we have access to everything. Therefore, we play the comparison game all the time. If somebody has something better than I do, I need what they have. And if I can't attain it or get it, what happens to me? I become depressed. I become depressed in my soul. Years ago, a pastor said this. Every day, we see the highlight reel of everybody else's life while we just see our day-to-day. -day. You ever thought about that? I hate social media. Nobody puts on social media the fight that they had with their wife on the way to church. You put the selfie of you and your spouse walking through the door. Nobody puts the pictures of them having to just chase their kid around with a belt because they're not listening. Instead, we post a picture of our kids standing in front of an apple tree each fall which five minutes before, you're about to whop them. <laughs> Some of you are like, you do that to your kids? Absolutely. <laughs> emails Joe at Living I'm just kidding. <laughs> we compare our everyday to everybody else's highlight reel, and what do we do? Then we get, we get stressed, distressed, and depressed. We let those things spiral out of control, and it forms a cloud. And you know, when depression takes root over your soul, that's a really tough cloud to get to blow away because it stays there. But think about this. What did Paul say in Philippians 4? That's going to be our chapter the next two weeks. Paul says, I don't say this out of need. What's he say? I've learned to be content in all things, abundance or want, much or little. Why? 
Because of Jesus. I'm good. Because of Jesus. You see, you can be content or you can be depressed, but you can't be both. It's impossible for the Christian. You get one or the other. We get contentment or depressed. And I know there's more layers to this, and you're like, Aaron, that's, we're just 30,000 foot. I get it. We're going to get there. We have to divide this up into a couple weeks to get there. Here's the last thing I want us to process, and we're done. And I've been really chewing on this. I've been writing this in my journal, just, just asking Jesus to show me what the answer to this is. When it comes to the topic of mental health, how will we know when we're healthy? Thought about that? When you come to the topic of mental health, if this is something you're dealing with, maybe you have a family member you're dealing with, what will be considered healthy for you? Is it simply, I'm just not anxious anymore? Hmm. I don't know if anxiety is ever going to fully go away. Because I think the scriptures speak to that constantly, that when there's things that are out of our control, that sometimes we, we get anxious about those, but then we have to choose not to be. I don't know if that's the answer. When it comes to depression, is the, is the answer to simply not be depressed anymore? I don't, I don't think so. And I think for the Christian, we have to find the answer to that question before we know what healthy is. You know why most people never disengage from a mental health battle their entire lifetime? And again, I'm not, I'm not discounting the, the medical thing and trauma and all that. I get all that. I'm talking those that have a mental health battle from, from soul work that needs to be done. You know why we never disengage from that? Because we've never defined what healthy is. If I break my ankle, I know the goal. I know where I want to get. I want a healed ankle that I can walk and run on again. What's the goal in the mental health battle? I want to submit to you one verse today and I'm going to pray. Because I think the goal for the Jesus follower for mental health is different. And it's in Philippians again. Go figure. Chapter 3, verse 10. Paul says, my goal, there's our word, is to know Jesus and the power of Jesus' resurrection. And here it is. And the fellowship of his suffering. We don't like that in the Western church. But I'm wondering if we have to redefine our goal in this fight. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thanks again for this day, for your church, for these people. God, I thank you, Lord, that what is a difficult subject, Father, that you've been here among us. And God, I know we have many unanswered questions. Father, maybe some unanswered feelings right now as we're continuing to process through this topic. And that's okay. Father, I pray that what we do know, that, Father, you would allow that to take root in our soul this week. And that, Jesus, it would draw us to a deeper trust in you because we know on the authority of your word and your past character, God, that you're a good God. When it doesn't feel like it, you're good. When it doesn't seem like it, you're good. And when it doesn't feel, Lord, like you understand, we know you're still good. And so we're going to rest there this week. God, thanks for your word and our time together. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray these things. Amen.